0: What we tend to do in sales is to say, here's my thing, isn't it amazing, don't you love it? And so I'm trying to tell you you, know, you, you want a dog and I'm trying to sell you my cat.
1: Hello and welcome to The Growth Business, a podcast sponsored by Sapphire, home of frictionless digital systems. I'm your host, Lucy Thorpe, and this month we're talking to a man who coined a phrase which is so familiar to most people in business, you won't remember when you first heard it, because it seems like it's always been with us. The man is Hugh McFarlane and the phrase is The Buyer's Journey. Hugh is the founder and CEO of Align.me and the author of The Leaky Funnel, a concept which I was introduced to by SAP marketing guru Malcolm Hamilton, who just happens to be a great friend of Hugh's and a huge inspiration to me. So now we're all aligned, I can welcome Hugh. Good evening, Hugh.
0: Lucy, thanks for inviting me to your show. I'm really looking forward to our conversation.
1: Thank you very much for joining me from Melbourne, Australia. Now, look, I began the process of preparing for this by having a long think about the things that fascinate me. And I alighted on biopsychology. Is that where it all started for you?
0: I wish it did. Um, It it certainly landed there, but it started more with a frustration about what was not so for B2B marketing more generally. I was a salesperson at the time. I was studying marketing. I didn't for a moment think that I knew what good marketing looked like, but I knew it wasn't what I was being served. By our marketing function, and I I, so I started with a frustration, not yet an answer.
1: And you came up eventually with the buyer's journey, which is a concept, as I said, everyone's familiar with. Um, But it's your concept, so look, let's own it. And um, you tell me about how you came up with that.
0: I came up with the term. I I, I don't believe I invented the buyer's journey. I suspect buyers invented that themselves several thousand years ago. I was writing the leaky funnel, and I, I needed to describe some of the elements that you and I might take three four five minutes to talk about and I needed three or four words to explain that paragraph conversation and there just wasn't a term so I I don't for a moment think that I invented the buyer's journey even though I coined the term to describe I guess the process we're going to talk about today.
1: So you were frustrated because it wasn't working for you. And um, I work in marketing. I work alongside sales. If we can get it right, you know, brilliant. When we don't get it right, as you say, it's frustrating. So so where do we start?
0: Probably with your point, Lucy, I, I know, uh, again, that you're really personally interested and professionally interested in biopsychology. And I think it starts with the buyer. Typically in marketing and to a large extent in sales, we don't start with the buyer. We we think we do, but we actually start with ourselves. I, I want to sell this service or this product to that market and I want to do so through this channel and I probably want to use these tactics. And it's all about me, but it's not about me. It's about the customer. And so if we start with what she or he is thinking that'd be a good place to start.
1: How do we get inside their head? So, I mean, that's easier said than done, isn't it?
0: It is. And, and to some extent, we have to predict because there are, and we, we can talk about this a bit, we can, we can find indicators to judge where she's at, but we sometimes just need to preempt it. I'll give you a quick example of that point. When... We first started building go-to-market plans for companies. We've done some 500 or so, uh, many of them with um, Malcolm Hamilton, who you mentioned at the top of the show. Um, and in those workshops, when we ran our very first versions of them, the, the first part of those planning workshops was, let's map out what the buyer's journey looks like for your buyers. And so we'd go into that conversation de novo with a blank sheet of paper and we'd map out, you know, what actually is the journey for your buyers? And we'd map it out. But after five or six or seven or eight times, we'd done that and arrived at exactly the same conclusions. And so it became clear that the buyer's journey is the buyer's journey. What changes is the speed through which he or she goes, uh, the tactics that would make sense to help them navigate the buyer's journey. But the basic principle of I don't know you through to love you to pieces, that is a definable journey and it is definable by what the buyer thinks, not what the seller has done.
1: So do we start with trying to get to know what their pain points are? Is that point one? Is that entry point one?
0: Understand or shape. Um, maybe, Lucy, it might help if I map out what, what I think the whole buyer's journey looks like because your question, I think, is a is a... Cracker of a question, and it sits somewhat in the middle of that journey. If, in fact, let's do this backwards because I think that'll help. If right now I'm asking you to make a decision to buy my service or my product, you would need to prefer my product or service over the alternatives. So I've got a decision, and a decision can't come until preference has been formed. To prefer my service or my product, you need to know it. You can't prefer it if you don't know it. So before preferring it, there would be knowing it. And before knowing it, there's some kind of business case that you're trying to meet, some need for which you need a service at all. So if I want to sell you a particular product or service, it's to meet some kind of need. So we're only a little way through the journey, but let me just play that forwards and then backwards again. Uh, we've got a need, then we have a solution, then it's preferred to a, uh, preferred over other solutions, and then it's bought. That's pretty logical. I don't think terribly controversial. Before the need, though, there's a problem. Why do you need that? Sure, you need X. Great, wonderful. Let me show you my, why my X is amazing. But why do you need X? So before the need, there's a Y. It might be that it's clear to you, it might be that it's implied, but there's some kind of why going on. Something's not right, for which you need a solution from somebody, maybe not me, maybe somebody else, but you need a solution why. So that's the problem or the gap or the challenge or the barrier or the impediment. It's something that's not right, that gives rise to the need, that we would call that the gap. And Before the gap, you might be interested in the topic or the category of product or service, but you may not yet accept that there's actually a problem that you should prioritize and fix. And before that, I might wait to get you interested, but maybe I should position with you to now be a little bit selfish and contradict my point about the buyer's journey and talk about the seller for a moment. I probably want to at least be on your radar so that when the problem rears its ugly head, you at least think of me. So I need to position with you as someone who can solve the problem should you ever have it before we go further. And before that, you don't know who I am, you don't have the problem, and you just don't care. And so if we do that forward, as a a buyer's journey, as looked at from the seller's perspective, we've got untroubled and unaware, which is you don't know who I am, you don't believe that you've got the problem, and you just don't care. And I'm going to stop there because if that's where you're at and statistics suggest that 97% of your buyers are sitting at that stage. They don't know who the vendor is. They don't know that they've got a problem and they just don't care. If that's where you're at, imagine how silly it would be for me to try to argue to you why my product or service is better than somebody else's, you don't even know that you need a product or service like mine yet. And that was the genesis, that, that little insight was the genesis of the buyer's journey. It's like, she's not ready for that. All that she's probably ready for is something to pique her interest so that maybe she's curious enough to explore the conversation. That's the best I can hope for because she's, she doesn't believe there's a problem to solve yet. Once I've piqued your interest in the conversation, I might, several steps later, earn the right for you to fess up and say, actually, you know what? That probably is a problem that I should solve sometime soon. So we kind of create the buying platform. Then you're clear about what you need. Then you're clear about what I do. Then you prefer it and then you buy it. And so the, the, the basic frame I was trying to set up in the Leaky Funnel is we should work out where Lucy's is up to in her journey in making this particular purchase, so that we message to her in a way that's gonna make sense for her given where she's at. The difference between the, the gap slash problem slash challenge slash impediment, the bad thing, and what it is that you need to make the bad thing go away, that transition turns out to be the most material. What, what marketers often do is they want to say why their product or service is amazing, and why their customers love them to pieces, which is a fantastic conversation late in the funnel. And yet marketing should be dealing with kind of top of funnel stuff, which is, let me actually not tell you why my product's better. Rather, let me get you interested in a conversation about fixing that problem. And if I can do that, that's, again, I would argue that's where marketing ought to be focused. Then it's up to sales to then help the person who's just fessed up that they have that problem to shape what it is that they think that they need so that the solution is obviously the right way to go. And what we tend to do in sales, I've criticised marketing, let me now criticise sales, um, what we tend to do in sales is to say, here's my thing, isn't it amazing? Don't you love it? But if you've got a concept about what you need that's different from what my product or service does, then you don't love it, no matter what I say. And so I'm trying to tell you, you you, you want a dog and I'm trying to sell you my cat. I want a dog. You've got this concept of what you think you need. It might be wrong, though. Maybe you don't need a dog. Maybe you actually need a cat. And so what we've got to do with our sales hats on is to do an amazing job of helping the customers work out, not ask them what they need, but help shape what they think they need such that our solution is obviously an attractive proposition. And so, again, back to biopsychology – It's not, I I kind of need to respect what you already think, but I also need to disrespect it a little bit because I need to shape it. And very likely I've done this a hundred times and you as a buyer have done this twice. The odds are pretty good that I, I actually have the right to shape what you think you need because this is my patch.
1: No, absolutely. And I can see how this fits brilliantly with digital technology, which is the area that I'm in, possibly fits less when somebody comes in and says, I want to buy a dress. And you say, well, actually, I think you'd look better in a pair of trousers. But if it's digital transformation, you can start to say, well, we're the experts and we think you could do these amazing things for your customers if you have you thought about x y and z so this fits perfectly with technology did you have tech in mind when you were mapping this out originally
0: admittedly yes we, we've had the pleasure of serving a lot of companies not in tech um, but the world from which I came was the technology sector I'd been in sales and in marketing in tech companies for a lot of years when I first wrote the Leaky Funnel and all of that our clients since, I suppose, 70 or 80% of them are tech. Where I think this holds true though, is generally where the buying motion is complex. That can be in consumer. There are a small number of consumer examples that are really complex and the buyer and the seller have to dance for a while. And the motion that you and I are familiar with as marketers is complex. And so I would say that the twist is actually that it's not so much B2B versus B2C, but complex versus simple. I'm out of the case just now that there are a small number of B2C examples that are sufficiently complex that they need this thought about the motion. But equally, if you're buying a ream of office paper, technically that's a B2B purchase because you're a business but actually you're going to buy a brand that you know from a retailer who you know uh, for a price point that you already understand. That's pretty consumer.
1: And you work a lot with SAP, don't you? I'll give SAP a shout out because we work an awful lot with them as well. And this um, and this very much fits in with their approach to biopsychology, presumably because they've been working with you
0: since 2006. We've had the pleasure of working with SAP very deeply. Um, We have worked with a number of partners around the world. uh, Out of the something like 500 go-to-market plans that we've built um, across the last 20 years, probably 150. Of them have been with SAP partners at their invitation, so yes, we understand their their world, and perhaps we might have influenced it a little.
1: A, a lot, I'm sure. And when you're working with um, SAP partners and other technology partners, are you then aligning these these steps on the journey with things like content and conversations, and sort of saying to them, "This is the point where you're having a sales conversation," "This is the point where you're actually just putting a piece of content out there on LinkedIn." Is it that? Mapped and planned in in your head,
0: I wish I could take credit for having planted that question in your brain, Lucy, because it 's such a cracking question i, I can 't take that credit because we didn't talk about that in the prep for the show, but it 's a cracking question, and I want to pick on the, the the very front of it about content. Imagine that you're writing an e book so you're in marketing and you 're going to produce an ebook, or do you want that ebook to be used at a stage in the buyer's journey? for a prospect who's already had a discovery, they've already received your proposal, they've discussed the proposal at length, they're now down to the point where they want to, they're kind of narrowing their thinking down and you want that ebook to argue why your approach to the solution is superior to the approach that others might take. That's a legitimate use of an ebook, but that's now at preference formed, which is a very late stage in the funnel. You could equally craft that ebook to not so much talk about why yours is better, but to explain how yours works. It might be through a case study, it might be through a technical white paper. But in whatever whatever fashion it takes, its main purpose is to tell the story about how your thing, whether your thing's a service or a product doesn't matter, how your thing works. That's also a legitimate use of a white paper or an ebook, but equally, or an infographic for that matter, if you want to go lighter. But equally you could write that white paper, ebook, infographic, choose your choose your poison, a piece of content, to make a really compelling case that should you ever have problem X, then what you would need is a solution that had A, B, and C elements to it. So you could be shaping the need with this paper. I, I'm, I'm going to go further. Forgive. Uh, I hope your listeners will forgive me. Keep on labouring this point, but but the punchline they've already worked out, and that is that you better know for which stage. You're crafting the piece of content. I will go further, though, because do you want to write the ebook, white paper, research paper, infographic, webinar? We can change tactics now. Do you want that to do a great job of bringing to the surface awareness of a problem that was seen as somehow insoluble and so I wasn't even focused on it? Like, I, I get that the problem's there, but there's no way to solve it, so I've just ignored it. Do you want to bring to the surface some problem that people aren't focusing on? That's equally a legitimate use of that kind of tactic. And so, you know, you you kicked your question off about content. If I'm to craft such a piece of content, I need to be clear for which of those movements changes from she used to think this, now she thinks that. Which progression am I trying to optimize for? Am I trying to get you to acknowledge, you know, you're already curious in the conversation. I'm trying to get you to understand the, the problem that you're facing that needs to be solved. Or am I trying to get you to work out, given that you know that you have that problem, to, to shape what you think you need? Or am I trying to explain what our thing does? Or am I trying to explain why it's better? They're perfectly legitimate. There's no correct answer. Just if I'm your copywriter or I'm your designer or I'm your campaign designer, you better tell me which one of those progressions you want me to optimise for because I can't do all of them.
1: And then it brings me to my next thought, which is that we had the sort of funnel, which seemed very linear. Then we had the journey, which seemed a bit more meandering. Is there like a third stage where it's all sort of people are dotting around all over the place, like a board game for a child where there's kind of falling off, at one point going back 10 spaces and um, go back to the start. (laughs) It
0: it feels a bit snakes and ladders, doesn't it? Yeah. So the, the answer is yes, but there's a twist, I think. The fact that we lose visibility over what the buyers are doing doesn't mean they're not doing. So if a buyer was in your funnel, because marketing said so, and then they disappeared for six months, it doesn't mean the buyer wasn't thinking, learning, looking, touching, asking. It just means you lost visibility of it. And so, yes, they leaked from your funnel. Legitimately, they leaked. They're no longer in play. They don't want to receive your next piece of communication. Doesn't mean they're not working on the buying decision. Doesn't mean they're not consuming content. It just means you've lost visibility of it. And so we've got to get good at Welcoming them back in at whatever point they're at. Imagine they've gone two steps with you, exited. They then went the next three steps with five other providers. When they come back to you, it's not like they're back at step two. That's what you see, but they're at a very different point. So we need to work out what they're currently thinking and to let them indicate through their their response to tactics that actually they're not where we thought they were. They're somewhere else, and we can serve them content in a form and a type and a message that's going to make sense for them given where they're up to.
1: And just as I bring my thoughts sort of to a conclusion, really, people are spending a tremendous amount of money then, or potentially, then you're going to be treating them very much as a one-off individual and that you're going to be tailoring everything to exactly where they are. Does this also work at scale?
0: The answer is yes and no, but, but I can be a little bit clearer than that. Imagine a continuum where you've got somebody selling Learjets and they need to make a sale every second year in the home and host at one end of the spectrum. And at the other end of the spectrum, you've got somebody selling um, reams of office paper for three quid. At each of those extremes, the buying motion has got some peculiarities that are kind of hard to deal with. In the Learjet example, it might come down to whether you have photographs of them in a compromising position. In the ream of office paper, it's a very consumer-like purchase. These are not motions worth mapping out and building tactics for. But if you're building a plan for a a product or a service that is big enough that the buyer and seller have to dance for a bit, you know, that might be a a 20,000 pound sale as an example. That's a big enough decision for the buyer that they're going to be willing to go through a few stages to get there. And it's big enough for the seller that they're also willing to do that. And at the other end of the spectrum might be that a 2 million or 5 million or 10 million pound sale is still a legitimate target, but maybe the billion dollar sale is just less because you're going to make one of those every second year. And so we need to come in from those edges a little bit to be a big enough sale that it's worth mapping out what the journey looks like for that buyer and what they're ready for, but equally a small enough sale that there is some kind of volume. So now to your point about scale, I think it works best where there's a degree of scale where we're going to achieve, if, if we're building a plan for three sales a year, the argument is debatable because there are so many dynamics that may not be mappable that will go into whether that sale is made or not made. But north of that and south south of a million sales, um, this is a motion I, I, that I believe, and at least in my experience, has served uh, large and small volume.
1: Well, look, we we have spent our time together and um, I do just want to give you the opportunity to let people know how they can find out more about the leaky fire and working with you because you're hugely well-renowned and I'm very, very grateful that you have given me your time and I'd like people to be able to pursue uh, knowledge of you further.
0: Well, Lucy, thank you for the invitation. Our website, align.me, is probably the best place to start. We try to make available all the content that we can meaningfully. As much of it as we possibly can is ungated. I'm in there fairly frequently producing new articles and video blogs, so I think the best place to go would be a like company. me.
1: Brilliant. Thank you so much, Hugh. Now, the links to those uh, websites, etc., videos will be in the show notes as ever. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your expertise. And thank you to the audience for joining me on The Growth Business. This time, do like, subscribe and wherever you get your podcasts, download and say hi. Until next time. Goodbye.